Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Happy Halloween. Today, we're talking about Saturday's DC fandom. And our special guest is the one and only Laurie Strode herself, Jamie Lee Curtis, talking about Halloween Kills. Now, this second in the latest trilogy of the Halloween movies is full of, well, it's a lot of blood. I'm going to tell you. But before we talk about that, let's talk about something else that might be a kind of bloody mess in some ways, which is this DC fandom. It's another virtual one that's being done by, by I guess, Warner Media and their various superhero subsidies. A um, lot of things are going to be announced. Ava DuVernay's um, is going to have some stuff for DMZ and also for Naomi and really? others. But really, does anybody care about these virtual conferences anymore? They feel like dead air in an oxygenless container. Well, here's the dilemma. So first of all, it'd be great to have this one live. Second of all, and I'm, I found out today that this comp, that San Diego Comic-Con is definitely live Black Friday weekend. Definitely. It is not, they are not doing any kind of hybrid like New York Comic-Con did with virtual. And I don't think a lot of networks are going. However, San Diego Comic-Con says they have two studios on board. And I'm thinking, well, who? I don't think Sony's going with Spider-Man. Warner um, Brothers wouldn't be going. They just had their own event. And then who the hell's going to go to that live over after Thanksgiving? Who's even going to get on the road to go to San Diego? I mean, That's I, crazy. Know, I, I'm I assuming there's crazy. some method to their madness in terms of either tickets or something like that, or maybe... Turns out it's going to be, they're going to announce on like the Wednesday that it's streamed or something. But just even looking at, you know, look, there's some, there's some powerful stuff in this DC fandom. And, and like, like D23 that Disney does and, and, and Netflix with their Tadam, it's another, they're creating their own confab, which they control all the parameters of. Yes, we're going to get a look at Black Adam. We're going to get a look at Flash. We're going to get a look at the Aquaman 2, at Shazam 2, as I said. Ava DuVernay's two series and other things. New Batman trailer. Batwoman and Superman and Lois and maybe Sweet Tooth. And of course, it's the end of Supergirl, so they're going to make a big to-do about that. But I keep coming back to the tagline for the original Alien. Like, nobody hears you when you have a conference in virtual space. True, but they'll be releasing, you know, they'll be dropping a lot of trailers and that's where they get, that's where they get all this traffic. They're going to have one day... They're dropping all these trailers on YouTube. All that'll go out on social. So I think that's where it all emanates from. I don't think it's necessarily about eyeballs immediately during the four hours. It's going to be from 10 to 2 Pacific Standard Time on Saturday. And you have to go, by the way, and you have to register for it at dcfandome.com. You register to watch it for free, the live stream. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where it's going. It's it's kind of like this rock that they throw out in the social media water, and then there's all these ripples from it. Yeah, so. maybe. And I mean, you know, they're going to look, they're going to tell us about Peacemaker, obviously the Suicide Squad, uh, small screen spinoff of sorts and, and what have you. I just, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I just feel like this is our, this is our people. This is our clan. But I just feel like people got stuff to do between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Saturdays, and this is not the place they want to be. Where they might want to be, though, is in the movie theaters today with the latest Halloween movie, which is, you know, 
talk about perfect timing. I mean, can I ask you a question? Why do you think they brought it out this week as opposed to bringing it out next week when they would have been right on the cusp of Halloween? Well, usually they like a little uh, rampway. And by the way, you know, this is theatrical and day and date on Peacock. Yeah. You know, um, even though they're expecting Peacock, it- the streamer who dare not speak its name. That's pretty much why it's going on Peacock. It's going on the subscription tier of Peacock. And I'm telling you, Peacock is desperate for content. They need a hit. They need, I don't know if this is it to start signing people up, but they need stuff. And I don't know why they haven't gotten Battlestar Galactica off the ground yet. Hello. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I will say though, for all our, seemingly low-key disinterest in all these things, we're actually really thrilled to have Jamie Lee Curtis here. I mean, the, the, the first Halloween movie was obviously a classic. Um, there's been a lot of sequels over the years. And her return in 2018, and now the second one in the trilogy that they have planned, you know, it, that, is, that is an event. We're, whether or not it's on Peacock or in the theater. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Jamie Lee Curtis. I appreciate you having me. Here I am, dressed like a pumpkin, ready for you, whatever you're going to throw at me. Okay, so the first question I have is, is, why do you keep making the Halloween movies? Well, I made two of them, and then I stopped making horror films for a very long time. And then... Two years before the movie was going to turn 20 years old, I thought that we should make another movie because I thought it was interesting that John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, and I were all still in show business, all still working a lot. And I said, has that ever happened before? The only film that that had happened was Star Wars. Hmm. And so I thought this is unique. So I conceived the movie. John ultimately didn't direct it. Deborah ultimately didn't produce it. Now we were making a movie 20 years later. Um, I had to be in the second one by contract for a very brief time. And then again, I didn't do another movie for 20 years. The last thing I thought I would do is another Halloween movie. I felt like I had given it the office, so to speak. And what happened is Jake Gyllenhaal called me in June of 2017 and said that his friend David Gordon Green, who had just directed Stronger, wanted to talk to me about a Halloween movie. I said, okay. I spoke to him. He tried to pitch me. I said, look, just send it to me. I'll read it. What I read was a really interesting take on what happened to Laurie Strode. She had a child, that child was taken away from her. She has a grandchild, they're estranged. And I thought it's a movie about female trauma. It's a movie very similar to what I tried to achieve with H2O, which was about trauma, was about Mm -hmm. running from it. Mm -hmm. But here wasn't a woman running. You know, there are two choices in conflict, fight, or flight, period. Mm -hmm. You have two choices if confronted. So H2O was about flight, running from Michael, changing her name, being an alcoholic, and blah, blah, blah. 
And then the 2018 movie that they wrote was about fight, was about a woman preparing to fight him and the trauma that ensued. Sorry, go on. No, thank you, Jamie. Can I just say, Jamie, that was amazing. Thank you. But <laughs> that I'm was saying, amazing. No, but it really that's is. why I'm in these movies. Like, it's not like it's like anything other than that. That's why I'm here now. And by the way, just FYI, I didn't know it was a trilogy. Nobody said the word trilogy. We didn't make Halloween 2018 as part of a trilogy, like a secret trilogy. Yeah, because you, all... you kill him at the end. I mean, I thought it was over when I saw that right. movie. So did I. Yeah. So I was surprised. But my point is, I just keep following the next indicated action that takes place. And the next thing I know, I'm now doing a trilogy of films with a great filmmaker. The same <laughs> filmmaker doing all three films. And I, that's I, really exciting. I know Anthony has a million questions and I don't want to get in his way, but I, but I want to ask you, you know, over your incredibly strong, incredibly powerful career, Halloween being the one that launched you for many people with the great John Carpenter, but then many, many other triumphs throughout that career. Um, when I listen to you speak about the film, I hear, I hear an, a, not just a wisdom, but an insight. And I hope you know what I mean when I say sometimes they're two different things. And the way you talk about it uh, as a woman, as a mother, in the, in the case, as a fictional grandmother in this case, how much of that has, has over the years, has that become a part of the way, the way this character has been for you? Because you know that among a, what, one or two other characters in your career, it is her that so many people identify you with. Let me say this. I'm the mother of Janet Lee. When she died, psycho actress dies. When I die, Halloween actress dies. That's a given. So what I do within the construct of the character is the only, as I said, the only reason I did the 2018 movie was because of the way that he was telling the story that felt right to me. Um, it wasn't about money. Nobody got paid up front. Do you know what I mean? Like we went into it with the intention of trying to match the 1978 movie, which also nobody made any money and it was, the expectations were zero. So we tried to go into this new 2018 one with that same level of lack of expectation, you know, guerrilla filmmaking, uh, uh, anyway. I'm gonna let you ask a question because you, you're like Chris Guest. You're really quiet. <laughs> and you're like me, not. <laughs> well, Amy, I, I would I would dream on my bestest best day to be you. I'm just gonna put that out there. I'm just joking. <laughs> so if the 2018 film was about collective trauma, collective rage, and mob violence, what is the sequel about for Lori? You're in the hospital. Is well, it mostly Karen's film? You've now, you've actually sort of, uh, you've done a little bit of a, a combo platter. 2018 film was about female violence, female trauma, and a female 
acknowledging the trauma that a perpetrator, a man, has done to her over her life and that she is not going to take it anymore. That, written, by the way, in 2017, came out in uh, October 21st of 2018, was a... Uh, confluence between the Me Too movement, which had just begun, Ronan Farrow had just gotten women to go on the record, mm -hmm. and at the same time, this movie about female trauma was being released. And it literally created this confluence, which created a wave. And we just rode that wave. And women all over the world were standing up and saying, Me Too. This happened to Me Too. And the cover of the New York Magazine with all those women and Bill Cosby and all the rest of it. The 2021 movie that we are releasing Friday is a movie about collective trauma, the concentric circles of trauma and violence that take place in a community, the collateral damage that takes place in a community. It is about also my daughter and granddaughter having to step forward into that maelstrom of swirling masses of people and mob violence because I am rendered impotent by the wound. I've been wounded. I am not able to, I'm a wounded warrior. I cannot fight. And they now step up. But the, the movie we're releasing now is a movie about collective rage. It feels and, to me that and it was written in 2018. We shot it in 2019. We held it for a year, right when all of the social uprisings were happening, the protest marches, the riots, the all of the police brutality marches, all of that was happening. We didn't release a movie. And then we are holding it for 2020. And then in January of this year, there was uh, another uprising and another, and we watched all of us. A real what, horror what show. What happens when mob violence takes over? Whatever political side you're on, simply that misinformation pro propelled mob violence to a really terrifying point. So it's prescient of David Green and Danny McBride and Scott Teams and, and Jeff Radley to write two movies that predated social uprisings. I actually think by the end of this trilogy, in 20 years, you're going to look back on these movies as the greatest history lesson about our times. And yet they're slasher movies. Mm -hmm. But in the meat of them, in the, in the DNA, in the soul of them, in the marrow, is this incredible story of human rage and, and the way we react to each other. To that, Jamie, can I ask you a question? Was there any new voiceover or any tweaks done Nothing. from the film from when you guys did it to its release to kind of focus or open the aperture a little bit more on a post-January 6th world? Nope. I mean, there were voiceovers written, but it was all based on the text from the script. 
I mean, it was not like a new, uh, uh, remember, this was written in 2018. Mm-hmm. That, the, the, the evil dies tonight. That group of people marauding through that hospital was written in 2018. And it's just, it was astonishing for all of us involved with the film, both the 2018 movie and the women's movement. And by the way, it's part of the reason I think that the film caught fire in 2018. Yeah. It, 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 it elevated the whole conversation because who is the ultimate woman who has been abused? Lori Strode. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's really interesting to me. And I will tell you, even though I can't tell you what it's about, I will tell you that the, the third installment of the trilogy, we don't know what the future will be, but it, it will have a similar um, ahead of the curve nature, just because I know what was conceived as the trilogy before the current world we live in. She's getting out of the hospital yeah. and she's going to learn something. It's going to be stop the die. That's what it's going to be. Um, um, <laughs> you know, what can I say? I, I will say this. David Green is a really interesting filmmaker and I'm really lucky that, and by the way, the similarities between David Gordon Green and John Carpenter are amazing. If you think about it, John is a Southern boy who went to film school, who works with all of his film school friends. Mm -hmm. In the original movie, Tommy Wallace, the art director, Nick Castle, who played The Shape, and John were in a band called the Coupe de Villes, who played at the rap party for the 1978 movie in my backyard. But that's who John works with. Mm -hmm. John worked with his film school friends making movies. David Gordon Green, Southern boy, film school nerd, just like John. What, who does he work with? All of his friends from film school. It's a very similar dynamic between these two artists. And I, I've, I've seen the similarities now when you look at these movies as a through line. I got one more question before we go. Oh, Screen, hey. Screen Queens, another season. Is it going to happen? I don't believe so. I, I think Ryan did what he wanted to do with that. It was a weird and wacky group of people. Uh, it was a funny experiment um, in creating characters, but putting them in another world. Um, the writing was so clever. Uh, I I... I made good friends. The writing was incredible for me. And I don't think, I just don't think, you know. Any like, reteaming with Ryan, any? Um, yes, actually. Um, Ryan is producing um, a project I've been trying to get made as a producer for over 10 years. I've had the rights to a project of the life of the man who invented the high five, who wow. was a black rookie. He was 19 years old. Uh, he played for the Los Angeles Dodgers 
and the first high five was delivered on October 2nd, 1977 at Dodger Stadium when Dusty Baker hit a home run and the last game of the regular season that put him in a group of three other Dodgers that had hit 30 home runs, which was the only time in Major League Baseball history that has ever occurred. And the guy that was on deck was a black rookie who was gay. And wow. his name is Glenn Burke. And Glenn, when Dusty Baker rounded home, Glenn Burke threw up the first high five ever recorded. And he ultimately was kicked out of baseball for being gay. And he ended up dying on the streets of Oakland of AIDS oh. in 1995. Hmm. And we are making a limited series um, called, right now it's called Outfielder, being written and directed by the playwright Robert O'Hara. Mm -hmm. who was just nominated for a Tony for Slave Play. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Murphy at the Ryan Murphy Television Company is producing it for Netflix. And I'm the producer of it because I've been carrying this project for a very long time. So I'm very excited to be working with Ryan in that way. Thank you very much for joining us, Ms. Jamie Lee Curtis. I look forward to talking to you guys again. We'll be back here next year. We're in. Maybe we'll be in person. Maybe I'll come to your studio and sit there with y'all. We would love that very much. So preemptively, happy Halloween to all of you. We'll talk to you before Halloween and we'll want to find out what many of you are wearing for costumes. We are not going to reveal what we are wearing, though I will be Olaf from Frozen. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Now make sure you listen to us on Deadline itself, but subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a single episode. And I'm still trying to find Dave Batista's suit from Dune so that I could wear it on Halloween. Listen, you can always find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. And don't forget, we'll be doing full coverage of DC Fandom tomorrow. So, you know, make sure you come to the site. Make sure you check it out. As Anthony said earlier, there's going to be trailers galore. As I said earlier, there's probably not going to be much more, but whatever. It's a thing. Do it, you know? And we're all, I mean, I'm dying to see what Aquaman 2 looks like. I have to be honest. And Black Adam, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.